Well, today we're going to pause from our series on living in the red, and we're going to look at a unique portrait of a mother that has an interesting story that I think we can all learn from today. Many of you may have heard the story, but have we considered the, the depth of all that goes on? Maybe not. And as I was spending the last few weeks uh, just taking some time to recover and enjoying some time with my family, the Lord kept bringing me back uh, to First Samuel, uh, to the life of an amazing woman that I don't know a whole lot about uh, because the, the Word of God doesn't give us a whole lot of detail But today I want to introduce you to a very unique mother. Her name was Hannah. Uh, I promised Hannah Glidden that I was preaching about her this morning, and I think I scared her. Uh, I'm not, actually. Uh, But Hannah was an amazing woman that knew a few things that I think we could all learn from. But I also think on Mother's Day, sometimes Mother's Day can be hard for some of you mothers or it can be hard to remember mom or different things. So I thought it was good to laugh. We don't always get to laugh in church. So I I thought of some signs that I'd seen that reminded mothers of just what it's like to be a mother. And for those of us that aren't, reminds us of what we forget about moms. And so the first one I saw was a, a, a laundry tag. Most of you know that there's instructions on how to do your laundry on your tags. And this one simply says, or give it to your mother. She knows how to do it. I believe that's wholeheartedly true. And I still do that when I go home. Nine times out of ten, your children get their awesomeness from their mother. That's a true story. Our kids are awesome because of mom, not dad. Sometimes, this is a mother speaking, when I open my mouth, my mother comes out. It happens. I've heard it happen. A couple more. Mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? Think of your daughter asking this. I don't know, dear. You'll have to ask grandma. (laughs) A couple more. You mean to tell me your real name isn't mom? (laughs) We've had that conversation with a similar look. Two more. See, I told you, that's how she does it. Happy Mother's Day to super moms everywhere. You do far more than we understand or realize. And one more. This was a prayer. Sorry, it doesn't show up real well, so I'll read it for you. Uh, it's, it's an interesting little take and, and a humble one at that. So far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or very indulgent. I'm very grateful for that. But in a few moments, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Amen. Motherhood is a unique and special calling. And those mothers among us, thank you for your love for God and your love for your children. With that, I want to, open, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. You can follow along as I read a rather lengthy text, but I think we need to, to get the full scope of what was going on. And then I'll just make a couple of points uh, as we go on. I'll start with verse 3. We're introduced to Elkanah, who is the husband of two women, Penina and uh, the protagonist in our story, Hannah. And so you need to know that while polygamy did happen in the Bible, it was never something God favored. And every single time you read of polygamy in the Bible, those families had trouble. Every single time. Polygamy never ended well. So as I read this, don't think, oh, God liked it when a man married more than one woman. No, that wasn't usually a good thing and it never ended well. And here's another example of that. Could God still use people? Absolutely. But as we move on, we start with verse 3. 
Year after year, this man, Elkanah, we're talking about, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, two of the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. In other words, she had no children. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, I not forget your servant, but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Talk about a guy that missed the point. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him up and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. 
Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In, in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. For, my, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Lord, I pray that today, as we consider just a couple of truths of the life of Hannah and how you worked, that we would be able to say with all of our heart and with all of our mind, there is no God like you. You are our rock. In any and all times, we will stand fast on you. In your name I pray, amen. In the few moments we have together today on this Mother's Day, we're going to just look at three basic things that we see in the life of this somewhat unexpected mother Uh, She'd been barren for a significant amount of time. We know it was years because for years she'd been taunted by Penina. And so there was a family dynamic there. Having two wives in one household was not an ideal situation. And Penina would lord it over her that she had children and Hannah had none. And this wasn't a gentle joking. It wasn't a picking on. This, the text gives clear indication that this was malicious and Hard, hard to hear and just painful, painful mockery against Hannah. It hurt. And to have to experience that day in and day out did not likely make for a happy home. Did Elkanah, her husband, love her? Yes. But Hannah was in just an, a tedious and a painful situation. One that I don't think we can fully grasp if we don't understand a little bit more of the context. Originally, I had planned to tell you how long before uh, Isabella was born, my wife and I had tried, and and we haven't told this story often, uh, to adopt a child from South America. And it was over a year in process. And as we went through the process, the door was closed time and again. And it just broke our hearts because we so desperately wanted to adopt a child and we thought we were doing the will of God, but it wasn't happening And so I thought, well, yeah, Melissa and I, we kind of understand what it's like to not have a child and want one, but not in the way an Israelite mom would then. Well, not a mother, not in the way an Israelite woman would have then, because we need to understand a couple things. First, we need to understand that in Israel and in this time, these what we call Bible times, there was no MPF fund, okay? You didn't have a bank that you went to, HSBC, Hang Seng, or any other. You didn't go there and make your weekly deposit to make sure you had a safe and stable retirement when you were old. You know what your retirement was? Your children. One of the things I love about Asian cultures is we are getting, we are much better here at taking care of our elderly and our families than my culture, a very individualistic culture. We put them in a home and hope they get okay. But here there is a tradition of looking after the elderly because they have great honor and dignity and respect. And whose job is it to do that? It's the children's. Well, if you don't have any children, then in essence, economically, you're destined to starve to death. There was no one to look after you when you were old was based on the relationship with Penina. Was Penina going to provide for Hannah? Sure doesn't sound like it. So Hannah, in the eyes of society, she was worthless. She had nothing to offer. Secondly, in that day and age, 
only four out of every 10 kids that were born even made it to adulthood. So kids were a sign not just of stability and economic protection as you got older. It was also a very real picture that the children, the bigger the family you had, the better the chance that your kids would take care of you. And so if you had one kid, there was great risk involved. You wanted to have many kids. The bigger the family, the better off you were. And so Hannah not only was barren, but she didn't have this big family that other families could see and honor that. Her wife-in-law did. And so there was further pain and anguish. And we live in this time, these Bible times were also a time when the military was based on your sons, right? And tribes would go to war with other nations there and near around. And if you didn't have kids, how could you provide for the army? And there was risk that another nation around you would conquer you. And so on three fronts, culturally, socioeconomically, and militarily, to be barren was a tremendously painful curse upon a woman. She offered little value to society in the eyes of them. And her wife-in-law, I guess we could call her, Penina, reminded her of that daily. Can we imagine that pain? And Hannah, the text tells us that Hannah was bitter in pain. And this was, she just cried out. Her anguish was so real that she just hurt. She was just a broken woman. And she wept aloud before the Lord. Much like when we see the the Bible talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth, it would have been that kind of anguish, that kind of sadness that brings us to the point where we are in the story now. Because it's what Hannah does next that is amazing. But let me back up. I have no desire to stereotype, so I'm going to say we all do it. But what happens typically when a problem comes? I know we know the right answer to do, but often when things get tough, we will often go around to friends and loved ones and say, what do you think I should do in this situation, right? And we go around and and we start getting everybody's opinion until we get the opinion we like, correct? That's typically how we do things. Hannah didn't do that here. Her husband tries to talk to her. She doesn't say much. But what she does do is amazing. She went to the Lord. And she prayed. And this is what she says. She's saying this to Eli, uh, who's got a whole different backstory. Uh, Talk about a a dad that missed the boat. Read on in chapter 2 and you'll find out all sorts of things about Eli. But Eli thinks she's drunk and she's not drunk at all. She's a woman that is engaging the Lord in relationship. The relationship God invites all of us to have. Jesus, remember, he told us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That was an Old Testament principle spoken throughout the Old Testament. When things got difficult, time and again, God called his people of Israel back to himself. He'd say, you need me. Don't keep going to everyone else. Don't go to other nations, to other people to solve your problems. Come back to me. And we see Hannah here, and she says, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. 
Hannah teaches us something for any situation in life, whether you're a mother that everything is going great for you, praise God. Whether you're a child that has just lost a mother, cry out to the Lord, pour out your soul to him. Hannah understood that she could approach God. She understood what prayer is, that God can handle anything she brings. Let's look just a little bit at Hannah's prayer when she gets to prayer. She goes to the Lord, and this is, this is what she says. First, in verse 11, she acknowledges God. Look at what she says. Verse 11a. Sorry, I've lost my place. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, the first thing she does... She doesn't say, Lord, this is terrible. She'll get to that. But first, she remembers who God is, that he is almighty. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, and he can do all things. God, I need to remind myself and remind you, even though you already know, you are the God of the impossible. You are God almighty. When we go to prayer, typically, dear Heavenly Father is something we say because we think it's at the beginning. Hannah wasn't just going through the motions of dear God. She was pouring her heart out. And she starts with, Lord, you are mighty. You can do it. From the very first breath of her prayer, this was a woman praying in faith to a God she knew was real. It's the first thing she says. Then she goes on and she says, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant. She's got deep emotions here. And she asks God, the God Almighty, that could have way bigger things to deal with. And Hannah asks her to remember Asks God to remember her. Remember my condition, Lord. Remember my pain and anguish. What she's saying here, something that sometimes we forget about God, is that she knew that she could cry out to God and that he cares. He cared enough to listen to the prayer of a poor, broken woman like Hannah. Was Elkanah poor? No, Elkanah was very well off. But in Hannah's mind, she was poor in spirit. And she was broken. And even in that, she prayed out. And she could pray, God, I know you care. I'm declaring that you're going to hear my prayer. A woman with nothing But I believe you care for me enough to, as Psalm 40 says, to incline your ear, to lean down and hear from me. Sometimes when we talk about prayer, we think that God doesn't have time to be concerned with my little concern. Or we think that he just wouldn't understand. Or we go through all these long reasons of why we may not pray in any situation. And here, in one of the darkest times of her soul, Hannah cries out to the Lord. And she basically says, God, if you care, I'm here. And she's trusting that indeed God does care for her. We forget that sometimes. 
we forget that we were promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We forget that he tells us, come to me. We forget that he taught us how to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day. Lord, you provide for me. You care enough to provide for me my daily bread and for those around me. You care enough to forgive sins and I will do the same. You see, Hannah cried out to the Lord, to a God that cares. I think sometimes our prayer lives can be quite static. Static means flat. It means we know we should pray, so we go through the motion. But if I were to ask you, how do you talk to your greatest friend in the world? And then how do you talk to God? I think I would get two vastly different answers. I think we actually should talk to God differently than we talk to our best friend. I think our prayers to God should be high and mighty and full of praise and acknowledgement of who he is. And I think they should be full of emotion that we wouldn't even feel confident sharing with our best friend because God can handle all of it. And time and again, he invites us when we're happy, come to him and give it to him because it's his anyway. When we're broken, come to him. He can handle it. Read Psalm 73. Asaph is just ticked that God keeps blessing the bad people and the bad things happen to the good people. And then finally the Lord gets a hold of his heart and he's realized, oh yeah, but as for me, it's good to be near the house of the Lord. (laughs) God cares for us and he wants us to enjoy a massively wonderful prayer life with him. (laughs) And he invites us to learn from someone like Hannah, broken But that's not all Hannah did because Hannah also promised. You see in the text as she continues, she said, if you remember my misery and remember me and not forget me, if you'll give your servant a son, I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Well, big deal. Mike didn't shave this morning. Is that what that meant? God was not as concerned about being well-groomed No, not shaving your head. And and later on we see his life will be given of the Lord. And we realize that likely what she was doing was promising that if the Lord granted Hannah a son, she would give him back to the Lord through what's called the Nazarite vow. In other words, he would go into the temple. He would be raised in the temple. He would be an assistant to the priests of the temple of the Lord, which back in the day was a very high and holy and wonderful thing, especially if you had many kids. One of them could go to the temple. What Hannah is saying here is, God, you give me one that could provide and take care of me, and he's yours. I'm going to pause and I'm going to make a statement that could be uncomfortable, but it does happen. For us as parents, for us as children, we can sometimes make an idol out of our family. We can sometimes spend all our energy investing in our family. Now, do not mistake me. I'm not saying quality time isn't valuable. That is not what I'm saying here. But we can begin to teach our children that they matter more than God. We can begin to teach our children that their happiness is more important than following the Lord and obeying him. And Hannah was saying, no, 
I am going to stay fast. I am going to give that kid, if the Lord so gives it, he's the Lord's. And I will keep my, command, my promise to God. Just think about the emotions for a moment. God answers her prayer. Miraculously, a womb that was closed has now been opened. Which, by the way, God does answer prayer. He doesn't always answer it the way we wanted. But he always answers prayer. He doesn't always answer it in the time we wanted. But he always answers prayer. He doesn't always answer prayer in the plans we had for the future. But he always answers prayer. And his plans are better than our plans. Do we believe that? Some, I got a few head nods when I said that. His plans are better than our plans. But do we believe that enough that if it was between our children and our God, we would choose our God? If it was between my wife and my God, I would choose my God? I was thinking, how do I grasp a, just a, a thing like what Hannah did here? And by the way, Eli and Phineas and Hophni were despicable men. They were priests of the Lord, and they weren't acting like it at all. They were sleeping with temple prostitutes. They were doing horrible, egregious acts against God. And Eli watched it happen. And this was the man that was going to raise Hannah's pride and joy. <laughs> well, that just stinks. But go ahead and look at the top of the page of your Bible and tell me what the title of that book of the Bible is called. There we go. Thank you. Samuel. Oh, that kid that Hannah gave birth to? His name was Samuel. The final great judge in Israel's history because after that, Israel nagged and begged the Lord for a king and Samuel gave him one as obeying the Lord even though he knew it was the wrong thing to do. But Samuel pointed Israel toward God his entire life. Samuel spoke some of my favorite words, words that we pray with our kids every night when we ask him to show us our hearts. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Samuel did that, and we'll talk about that some other day. But now, Hannah's at a point. She has prayed to the Lord. God has answered. She's made this promise that this kid will be God's. And she tells Elkanah, when he's weaned, I'll take him up, but it's not time to go to the temple yet. So she weaned him, she fed him, she let him get of age, and then she walks him up to the temple to Eli. And she presents him to the Lord. And she says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. Uh, the ESV translates this, I lent him to the Lord. But it's not that she expected him back. It's saying, the Lord gave him to me while he's back. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. That's not her saying, I expect him back. His whole life is the Lord's. If you have a child today of any age, and let's flip it, all of you are a child today of some age, would we give our parents to the Lord? Would we trust that he would look after our parents and we would obey where God led, even if it meant it might be painful. Hannah gave her one and only son back for Eli to raise and God to use wonderfully. 
But sometimes what happens is we come to church and we go through the motions and we say, well, I'm not getting much out of it. And, and it's, uh, there's nothing here for me. And I, I wish there was more. And I wonder, what can we learn from someone like Hannah? Because there are times when it does feel like we go through the motions. But I wonder, are we engaging in a relationship with a living and active God like Hannah did? Are we engaging in other people, seeking to help them grow into a loving and active relationship with God like Hannah developed? Because we notice also that as Hannah prayed, something else changed. Her emotions did. She was no longer downcast, the text tells us. This didn't happen after she was given Samuel. This happened before. She finished praying. She ate some food. And what does she do next? She's no longer downcast, so she worships God. Look at that. And then a couple years later, after she's weaned her son, she takes him up to the temple. In an act of just sheer in one sense, bittersweet agony, I think. This was her only son. Moms, is it easy to say goodbye to that kid the first day they go to school? Any of you? No, I've seen enough mothers do that. I don't get it. I'm so happy. <laughs> Finally! And moms are just a wreck, and I don't get it. Now, I do understand, but humor that. But Hannah here... I remember nine years ago, almost to the day, two months from now, nine years ago, we got on an airplane in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and said goodbye to my folks. We were moving across the world, and my parents, many of you have met them, they are God-fearing parents, and they were excited to know we were following the Lord, and he was leading us to Hong Kong for a season, they thought. Well, that season is hopefully going to be a long time, Lord willing. But in that, my mom wasn't sitting there, praise God. She was wrecked. Was she proud? Was she glad that we were following the Lord? Absolutely. But at that moment, I don't remember my mom worshiping God. She did later on, and she continues to say that she loves that we followed the Lord, and that's important. But that was a hard thing for mom. What does Hannah do? My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. Have that, Penina. Notice that's there. That's honesty. In her great joy that she was chosen to be used by God in a miraculous way, she didn't know who Samuel would become, but she could still rejoice that Samuel was God's child, not hers. And that makes all the difference when we consider parenthood, when we consider church life together, when we consider where we're going as a church family. This isn't Mike's church. Praise God, you've proven that time and again. You know how hard it was for your pastor to miss four out of the past five weeks? It was really hard. I missed you. You are my family and I love you. But the amazing thing is God took care of the flock. He doesn't need me. One of our elders boldly and wonderfully prophesied in, in real, because it spoke truth right into my life. Mike, you're not indispensable. God is. And I thank that elder for reminding me of that when I was feeling kind of sorry for myself. And it was, a, it was an amazingly teachable word at the time. But we often think we're indispensable. What if God called my kid like the Samatu family to Africa? Not just to Africa, but to the middle of nowhere Africa, to where it's dangerous. Would we say, 
My heart rejoices in the Lord. Or we would say, no, that's too risky. I'd rather you be safe. I want to give you a dare, parents. I know you love your kids, whether they are here in the Philippines or somewhere else. I don't question your love for your kids. Do you love God more? Hannah did. Hannah could worship the Lord as she gave away her son for the service of the king. And God used him amazingly. And your kids may have gone a different way at this point in life and you may be broken because of the choices they've made. And you wish they would come back to the Lord. But will you cry out to God? and ask him to work. We've seen a, an amazing story of reconciliation this last year, and we've seen other stories where children, even grown children, are making decisions that hurt. Will in those times we go back to the Lord and say, these children are yours, not mine? Will we follow God wherever he takes us? And say, Lord, you'll take care of my kids because they're yours. Most of you know my eldest child, Isabella. She's eight years old. She is my firstborn. And she is a twinkle in my eye. The other two are too. This isn't me saying they're my favorites. But if God called and said, Mike, I have Isabella for this purpose. And it wasn't a purpose I liked. Would I say... My heart rejoices in the Lord. I'm listening. Do your will. And I pray that Melissa and I's answer would be absolutely whatever may come. We trust the Lord with our children. We trust the Lord with our church family. We trust the Lord with our own welfare because we know he's a God that cares. We know he's a God that listens. We know he's a God that answers prayer. And we know, as I read from 2 Corinthians early, he's a God that gives great comfort in times of comfort. My heart aches for the Sun family. I love them, and I loved Wilson. And I just want to fix everything. But you know, amazingly, they know that Wilson is enjoying Christ right now. But it still hurts. In those moments, I know they can trust that God loves them and will walk through this journey with them. It won't be easy but he is their God and their heart can rejoice in him even in this time of sorrow. In the same way is the uncertainty that surrounds, is, is your grandson out of the hospital yet? Is he still in? Maybe today the, the Chang family has been granted a wonderfully beautiful grandson that came a little early and is struggling He's doing okay, but we continue to pray. Maybe today will be the day he comes home. Maybe Silas will grow so fast that he doesn't have to stay in the hospital for the month they expect back in Minnesota or however long it is. In any of these cases, can we say, this grandchild, this child, he is yours, Lord. And then can we look at our own lives? Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you've experienced the pain of barrenness or the the loss of a child for whatever reason, can you say, Lord, take my life and let it be wholly consecrated, Lord, to thee. Hannah did. Hannah cared more about her relationship with the Lord than anything else. 
there is one true God to Hannah, and that is the one living God. Let's sing together today, take my life and let it be. Lord, it is you who gives good gifts. You know when we suffer. You know when there is pain. And you can comfort in those times. But Lord, I pray that we would be a people that learns how to pray like Hannah prayed. That we learn how to rely solely on you as she prayed, you are our rock. As we were told in the Psalms, you are our stronghold. You are our fortress. You are our strong deliverer in all circumstances. God, we cry out and we proclaim to you that you are almighty. So with that, Lord, today, I beg you to take my life and let it be wholly consecrated, Lord, to thee.